Hello, everyone. Welcome back to this uh, 14th uh, episode in our normally 13-week-long seasons. This is the last one. And uh, talking about death and dying and the hereafter, uh, very glad to be here for this discussion. As I mentioned last week, Ken isn't here, uh, but my name's Cameron, and I'm here looking forward to it. And I'm Luke, and this is the second one we've recorded today. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I'm Lachlan, and I have to admit, I'm thrown substantially by this idea of 14 weeks uh, in, in the quarter. But of course, it's just the way calendars work, and there's nothing to worry about. So wait, this quarter is a different length to the other quarters? It is. <laughs> and there's nothing to worry about, you say? <laughs> you sure you're oh, a physicist? Um, uh, turn to Ecclesiastes 12. We're going to look at a passage which we've already read very early on in the season. And at that time, Ken dropped a comment, which I um, jotted down on my notepad as something that had to be come back to. We had to come back to it later. And now is the time we're coming back to it. Uh, we could read the whole of Ecclesiastes 12 in the interests of keeping recordings a little bit shorter, both for our recording and editing in the holiday season and the busy lives of our listeners at, at this time of year. We won't read the whole chapter. I'll pick up in verse 6 of Ecclesiastes 12. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a summary. It doesn't of... seem like there's much point to keep going with it. <laughs> no, no, there is. Well, yes. Uh, continue anyway, Luke. Well, I mean, this this is a, a, a one of the cha- I think a challenging verse in the Bible. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, how, how is it interpreted, and and how do different people take it? How does the author in Ecclesiastes take it? Because this is the question. I'll, 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 in, I'll put the question in here, um, and then we'll read the rest of the chapter, I think. Uh, Ken's comment last time we read this was that it didn't seem to him that the conclusion followed from the argument. He said it was a non sequitur. We've had an argument about life's fragility, um, its, uh, its short length, um, a lot of comment on the fact that you know rich people and poor people both die, good and bad people both die. None of them can take anything with them. Everyone's treated alike. This is meaningless. It's like a wind that blows. Uh, and then, after having sort of gone through some arguments, uh, he gives his grand summary in verse 12. Let's read from 12 to the end. Locke, do you want to pick that up? Uh, yeah, um, from 12 to the end. But, my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful, for writing books is endless, and much study wears you out. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commandments, for that is everybody's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Okay, so Ken's contention was it wasn't clear to him that the shortness of life and uh, the fact that everything at least appears meaningless, although the author doesn't say it appears meaningless, he says it is meaningless, was the conclusion of that to fear God and obey his commands. And when he said that, I thought, that's a really important question, because on reflection, I don't think that your philosophy about the afterlife, whatever it is, does lead in any 
strict logical fashion to a particular way of living. Let's play a game. I'm going to give you a philosophy and you guys tell me the way in practice it makes people live. Okay, So um, this life is all we have. The universe came out of nothing. It's going to end in nothing. There's no inherent purpose in anything. We're here and then we die and we get eaten by worms and that's the total end. There's no consciousness after life. There's no life that continues. That's all there is. That's, that's the concept. What way of life empirically, in the world, leads from that sort of belief. <laughs> well, uh, there's a couple I could choose from, Cam. So one of them would be, um, well, if that's the case, then the only sort of legacy I get to leave... Is, okay, so I'm automatically going to start by assuming that that I'm concerned with the legacy that I leave. And the only sense in which um, my entity-ness, my influence on the world can continue is essentially through um, through children, through my family, and through artifacts that I leave. So um, that view of the world would, would lead me to place great emphasis on, on family, on offspring, on um, passing on, uh, in other words, teaching in, embedding in as much of myself in terms of values and um, uh I guess perspective and 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 contribution to the world, passing that on to the next generation, and hopefully then generations after, um, and and that would be a, a way to 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 find meaning from this short and not at all extended existence. I think there are people who do that. I meet them and talk to them. I work with them. Uh, some of my friends definitely hold that point of view that uh, the shortness of life means they only have a small amount of time to make a difference in the world. And they know, because they've studied history and looked at the world around them, that after people die, the effects of their actions lives after them. Um, and they want as much as possible for the effects of their life to be positive for as many people as possible. All right. But having said that, let me jump in with another one, which seems to me at least as logically valid. Um, I'm not going to be around ever again to have to experience the... Um, continuation of my actions who really cares how people get impacted the only thing that i should focus on in in this life would thus be um in, in, as as much gratification as immediately as possible and to heck with the consequences i don't even care and really if harm comes to other people they were going to die anyway yeah yeah <laughs> um <clears throat> Okay. Are there any other sort of viewpoints that that arise from, uh, I guess, the fundamental dichotomy we've opened up? Is it is possible to take the concept of a uh, of a temporary life and the and the permanent end to a person's entity at their death uh, in both a selfish and a selfless direction? Um, and there, there are obviously people that I can think of who who embody both of those viewpoints. Well, I think probably everybody. Almost everybody is a mix of both. It's very rare to find someone who is purely selfish, and it's even more rare to find somebody who's purely altruistic. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good point, Luke. Um, okay. Uh, well, let's let's go with a different philosophy. Supposing that we believe that after um, we die, uh, God's going to raise us up and judge us for everything we do. And if we're good, we'll go to heaven. If we're bad, we'll go to a lake of fire. Well, uh, I mean, 
a rather disturbing anecdote from the, um, I guess, essentially the Crusades, but before they got down to the Holy Lands, um, when there were the, when there were the apparent um, heretics in France and the and the French nobles under the guidance of the of the cardinals went to the city uh, to destroy the Cathars who were who were clearly heretics, and on the cusp of a great military invasion, they suddenly had an important question, which was, how are we going to know when we enter this city, which of the people in the city are the evil heretics? And the cardinal had the right answer at his fingertips. Kill them all, because God will know his own. Exactly. The good ones will go to heaven and the bad ones will go to hell. <laughs> it's just, It's just such a... Such a messed up story, in my opinion. But I can see, I have to concede, that it has a certain amount of logical consistency within this particular view of the world and, and yeah. of the afterlife. Because if we're going to live forever, I mean, really, how much difference does it make what happens now? For, I mean, you might live 30 years or 50 years. or It wouldn't matter if you lived... 10,000 years, it would still be 0% of your existence yeah. if you're looking forward let to an be, eternity. Let me interrupt here to say I have I have heard that sentiment expressed in Adventist communities. I have not heard any Adventist communities say, why don't we just kill everyone because God will recognise his own. We don't want to go that far. That's a particularly... <laughs> we don't want to go that far. I'm, I'm glad you clarified. No, we, we, no yeah. but the point that I'm making is that that attitude sneaks in a little bit unbidden on well it, it certainly does and i'm i'm right with you on that one um but let's just for fun play devil's advocate why was the cardinal wrong <laughs> what, well, what precise we is... all feel that he's wrong just just to be clear yeah. that strikes us as a horrifying thing to say and obviously not moral but why yeah yeah, basically, Luke, because the cardinal forgot to look down at his wristband, and he didn't—he didn't think what would Jesus do. Well, well, so you're, you, what what you're positing, Lachlan, is that something is moral because Jesus does it, not he does it because well, it's moral. <laughs> okay, okay, I guess I guess there's probably yeah. something to explore here. <laughs> um, uh, there is something to explore. Um, I think it's relevant to your to your original topic, Cam. Because we're, well, we're talking yeah. about it, what, it, nothing... what is correct behaviour, what, what yeah, yeah, is yeah. moral behaviour, what should people who believe yeah. in God do as a result of mm. their belief. And, and if you try and argue with the cardinal, it's actually a bit hard because if God genuinely does reward those who have had hard lives here and believe in him and are striving for eternity, then it really doesn't make that much difference. There's a, there's a double standard, though, because by that same... Uh, metric the cardinal should have told his own army to kill each other well yes no this is why i think it's but he would have said he would have said we can't kill each other because at the moment god is using us for some good purpose here on earth we're Mm. cleansing the Mm. well if god is using us for some good purpose here on earth might he not be using the good people in that city so what you're saying the cardinal didn't go far enough because if you take (laughs) this is why it's really important that we have an actual refusion of that view because otherwise if your belief is everybody is either saved or not saved mm. and there's nothing we can do to influence whether or not they're saved or not saved they they are right because it's predetermined mm. yeah. or what have you then our responsibility is to kill everyone and then ourselves 
so that everybody can go to heaven or not doesn't have anything to do with us but let's end this farce now and get on yeah. to the next bit which is better so it it is it is it is it's nihilism but it's not atheistic nihilism it is it is christian nihilism yeah it's a disturbing dystopian picture a christian um, nihilism would be that every time we have a baptism ceremony we should then basically have a, a, a sacrifice because why risk why risk reneging on that good or important in, in the in the Catholic, eternity in the decision Catholic version of beliefs as soon as the baby's been dedicated consecrated kill them i see right i see yes because so, uh, yeah. then they, they they're saved they go to heaven and there's no it's fundamentally the same sort of belief that, and I want to tread very carefully, but it's fundamentally the same sort of belief that can lead to religiously motivated suicide bombers. Oh, yeah. I was actually thinking the same and thing. And like um, you said, it is a belief that creeps in to to, to certain cultural elements yeah. in our, in our well, church. Here. They don't realize that their endpoint is this, but they have a fundamentally apocalyptic worldview. Yeah, so here, this is the specific sense in which I fear sometimes that it creeps in too far. So it, it's it's this sense. Um, you know, here, here we have people um, who... There's a particular group of people in the world who are suffering tremendous torment in this life. And we say amongst ourselves, well, we've got limited resources. What could we do to help? Well, Actually, the most important thing we could do for those people is to get their eternal destiny fixed in the right direction. Because let's face it, that totally and utterly outweighs anything experienced in the here and now. Uh, they're starving to death. They're being bombed by foreign nations. They're, you know, they're being held in slavery, whatever it might be. As long as we can get them into the kingdom, that is so much more valuable to them that it outweighs to such an extent, any of the torment here and now, that we feel almost justified in ignoring their present torment. Now, I'm deliberately constructing a straw man here, but that is the sense that I fear it, it often creeps in. And then you, you get this weird attitude where it's like, well, you can't, as a Christian, and I know that this will wind you up, Luke, and flip you over the edge, so, so you'll have to put your fingers in your ears, but there's this attitude sometimes where people say, as a Christian, you can't get involved in this whole social justice stuff because it's <laughs> i can see your fingers in your ears you better keep them there um you know because it's just not dealing with the most important thing and they are right only if the cardinal is right so the problem was i did put my finger on my ears but my headphones were also in so it just <laughs> made the sound loud <laughs> the same argument lock is used in terms of the natural world yes it is so we don't have to we don't have to care about the natural world because it's all going to end, and um, ah, that's it. We don't have to care about it because it's all going to end. Um, as I said in a previous episode, that's why I don't feed my kids because they're only going to die one day. <laughs> well, so coming coming back to Ecclesiastes for a sec, this is often how that verse is read. Everything in this world mm. is meaningless. Therefore, let's hurry ourselves along to the next one. And we don't have to care about other people's suffering and we don't have to steward the planet um, and we don't have to do any of that stuff because none of it matters. All right. So there's okay. a problem here because over the last 13 weeks, a good number of the conversations we've had have brought us to the conclusion that the we should be more concerned with the state of the living than the state of the dead. So it's... 
I'm not I'm not going to lie down and accept this idea that everything is in fact meaningless and that and that all that matters is our eternal destiny. Well, I don't think that's what Ecclesiastes is saying. Um, and and just to throw one extra thing, what if we say what if we get the idea rid of the idea of eternal torment and a heaven and we replace it with our idea of an eternal sleep for the people who mm. are too bad and we soften it a bit by God being more gracious. Does it substantially change things? It doesn't, because the cardinal would now say, we are doing those evil people a mercy. Even mm. God, at the end of time, agrees the best thing for these people is to cease to exist. Yeah. So, so it is possible to take this in dark directions. Obviously, it's also possible to take it in directions that lead to a really healthy life. As a counterexample to that, though, just to illustrate how dark it can get, a brief story about a podcast. I know, Locke, you've heard this podcast. Luke, I don't think you have. It's called um, Cautionary Tales. And in one of them, he, he talks about, the Tim Harford um, talks about the phenomena of strangers poisoning kids' candy at Halloween. And oh, yes. he had a friend who was a soci- he had a friend who was a sociologist. And, you know, these yeah, needles placed inside apples and drugs put inside candy. And he had a friend who decided to look into this and did a, a large amount of research scanning um, every newspaper report that described a child dying in the week following Halloween back to the 1950s. And guess how many cases he found of strangers poisoning um, other people's kids? None. He found none. There was one case of a child being poisoned. His name was Timmy. He had been given a sherbet stick where the top inch was arsenic. Um, He had died in some pain. His four friends that were collecting candy with him had also been given sherbet sticks that were laced with arsenic. They hadn't opened it by the time he died, but they could have. It could have been five deaths instead of one. The father um, was distraught that Timmy had died and visibly distraught and gave a moving speech at his funeral. He was a a practicing church member and he sang the hymn Blessed Assurance with Timmy's name in it. This is Timmy's story. This is Timmy's song. Um, Very moving service. Caskets buried. How awful it is. This kid's been given poison candy on on Halloween. The insurance company rings up the police. Did they know that Timmy's father had just taken out a very large insurance policy on Timmy's life? Uh, The police start to dig. His father is in financial troubles. Uh, His father's scissors on his desk at home have traces of arsenic in it. Uh, His father wasn't with Timmy when the sherbet was given. The sherbet was given. It emerged from a house that was unoccupied. Um, Timmy's father was convicted for murder and was uh, put to death a decade or so later. Uh, it was. It took the jury something like 40 minutes to make their deliberations. The, the evidence was super clear-cut. Timmy's father had filled the top inch of five sherbet sticks. He'd done five so that it would look like a random hit and not a targeted hit at his son. He'd gone, while his kids were out collecting candy in the neighbourhood, into an abandoned house and handed this out to his own child and his child's friends because Timmy was going to be in heaven one day. Um, now, the positive note to this podcast was um, that makes you think awful things about human nature. The flip side is, in five decades of, of study across the entire United States of America, zero strangers murdered other kids or harmed them with poison or other bad stuff in candy. Yeah. There's, there's not a single documented case. And that's quite a positive look on human nature that, that this thing is not actually more common. But it is frightening that the one documented case where it happened was a Christian 
who believed his son was going to go straight to heaven. Hmm. So there is a utilitarian, I think that's the right word, argument against this particular, let's call it a doctrine, um, which is that it leads to bad outcomes. Obviously, this guy killing well, this guy killing his son was was horrific. Um, the cardinal having his soldiers kill everyone was horrific. Uh, by their fruits, mm. you shall know them. Therefore, yes. this yeah. belief cannot be true because it leads to bad things happening. But at the same at the same time, it has led to many good things happening. And the doctrine that this life is all we have had leads some people to a life of hedonistic selfishness. And some people to a uh, life well, I of, wasn't. Of I wasn't talking about the doctrine of, of, of um, this life is all we have. I was talking specifically about the doctrine of nothing we do in this life matters. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think I think that that doctrine that nothing we do in this life matters needs to be very firmly rejected. But the, the doctrine of life after death doesn't automatically lead to to a good way of living. And your comment mm. on um, by your fruits you shall know them uh, might have been Christ's way of saying exactly what you believe. The same belief might be true in one person and not true in another, if you, if you know what I mean. In other words, uh, doctrines are used. Um, what am I trying to think? Um, uh, I'm, you know, is this screwdriver a good screwdriver? Well, it very much depends what you use it for, isn't it? If you use it to um, hotwire a car, um, that's different to using it to fix your fridge. Uh, in, I'm talking about good in the moral sense. Is the mm, screwdriver mm. a good, morally good? Um, well, it, it very much depends on whether you you use it for good or, or for ill. And um, I think that that's what um, is happening here. When the when in Ecclesiastes, when the when the author says everything's meaningless, I think he's saying it isn't obvious from looking at life the way you should live. Mm. It's not yeah. obvious. It's, this is not something you're going to work out. It's not something. It's not like it's a maths formula. Um, and if you, what you believe about what happens to you in this life and after this life or whatever, is it, it is not going to lead, as a logical sequence, to a particular way of living. So, what's my recommendation? Well, fear God and keep His commandments. Hmm. On the balance of it, I recommend an ordered life. I recommend a life uh, following God. Uh, trying to do good, um, when he says God will bring every deed into judgment, I think he's saying pay attention oh. to what you do because what you do here matters. That's very interesting, Ken. Um, because mm. it, it it ties... So um, coming back to moral philosophy again, mm. um, utilitarianism, again, apologies, for, I'm not using the correct term. I have the concept clear. I'm not 100% sure if I'm using the right term. Um is about creating the greatest good, the outcome that creates the greatest good, right? So you judge the moral worth of an action on whether or not the outcome is good, right? One of the issues that utilitarianism has is that you can't predict the outcome. You can predict mm -hmm. the outcome in, in, in very simple scenarios, you know, yeah. like, say, the trolley problem or something like that, Um but you can't predict the outcome in the real world because the real world is so mm. complex mm. and 
difficult to understand, right? Um, so utilitarianism often goes hand in hand with the idea that the end justifies the means, right? Hmm. And I think as Christians, you have to reject the idea of the end justifying the means, right? Because we believe that an immoral action is immoral, regardless of what its outcome is, right? Hmm. Killing one person to save 10, still murdering, I should say, one person to save 10, still means murdering, which is wrong, right? But you have to have an explanation for why. And I think the answer is in the, in the fact that we cannot predict the future. We don't know what the outcome actually will be. If you don't know the outcome, if you can't guarantee that the murder of this one person will save 10 people, you just think it will. You can't say mm-hmm. for sure that it's the right course of action, that its utility is justified. I think that ties in. I think that could essentially be what that verse in Ecclesiastes is saying, Cab. You can't predict yeah. the outcome of your action. You can't, you can't understand the world well enough to decide what to do based on your own knowledge. Therefore, mm-hmm. trust in God. Do the right thing. Base, base, base your morality on doing what you know to be morally right rather than trying to achieve certain outcome because you're not smart enough to do that. Well, yes, it applies to absolutely everything. So what it says, our actions should be guided by our moral code, not by the outcome we're trying to achieve. And, and yes. And uh, uh, the sort of corollary to this is don't suppose that if you have all the right doctrine, correct doctrine so it will automatically mm. lead you to to the right sort of life and don't suppose that someone who has an incorrect understanding will automatically be led to the incorrect sense of life uh you know way yeah. of living life and you know i would like to think and i honestly think i will in fact i'm certain of this if the writer of this quarter which has been a very engaging one on the state of the dead was confronted with two people and one of them was a christian who believed in heaven but murdered his son for an insurance payment and the second was a atheist who had given his life for, say, an environmental cause because he wanted to lead, leave a legacy behind him. Obviously, the author of this lesson would endorse the second person as being yeah. the more Christ-like. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, a challenge yeah. for us. So um, as we think and talk about the truths that are important to us, we really need to shift our our focus and really ask the question how how then will it make us make us live hmm. Hmm. i mean i'm reminded of what we discussed um in last week's discussion about sort of culture cultural influence to, to me the discussion that we've just had about the way that a wide variety of apparently logical um conclusions about what we should do in this life might arise from an apparently disparate set of, of differing pictures about the life to come, that suggests to me that we need to have some humility about the significance of, about the um, the centrality of our, our doctrine, of our understanding of what happens after death. I think that we can mine it for, for useful comforts. I think one of, the, one of the really pragmatic reasons for discussing what happens when people die is because everyone does die. And we all live through the experience of people that we value dying. I went, and to, a so, funeral, I went to a funeral this week, like, of a lady whose um, daughter was in my class and she died of motor neuron disease. Right. And that's a, that's a very um, sober moment. Hmm. Mm. 
Well, this is the thing. I think that's where that's where the discussion has merit. That's where the doctrine and the understandings can provide comfort. I think, I think if you if you recall back to you know the sorts of things that the the view the medieval view of purgatory as a place where people are essentially paying off a debt with small and medium amounts of punishment, not quite the eternal conscious hellfire, but but some sort of um, payment through purging. And that that we somehow can be manipulated by by in, into trying to sort of change that that weird medieval sort of bogeyman there. The, if I pay for a new church choir gowns for my local church, I might spend less time in purgatory. Yeah, yeah. Or your great aunt might spend less time in purgatory. Um, you know, if you wanted to attribute the the payment. You know, what I'm saying is, at at so many instances, our um. Our understanding and the things we protest against in terms of pictures of life after death um, are more about us trying to find a, a package of ideas that provides comfort. And that's a really valuable, like that's not just meaningless. That's a really valuable contribution to, to our sort of mm. body of, of, of thoughts. But the challenge here is that, and I've commented on this a few weeks ago, the challenge is that Different people are indeed comforted by different things. I have certainly heard people express great comfort in the knowledge that Aunt So-and-so is smiling down on them from heaven. And that's not what we picture as Adventists. Um, so, so if it yeah. is true, what we've just discussed is that there's a variety of different pictures of life after death and they are all more or less either logically compatible with a good life lived here or or perhaps just a logical non sequitur that that doesn't have mm. carry strong implications for the life we live here if that's the case then probably we should put a lot of emphasis into turning to the person and ministry of Jesus and finding out how a really good life lived here could be mm. and let the picture of the state of the dead fade back just a little bit to being a helpful rather than a dominating idea. And it's helpful in the sense of comfort, of peace, um, of of allowing us to deal with things when mm. life's at its most difficult. Yeah. Like, we're going to leave it there. Um, that's been a very invigorating discussion and it's a, it's a good finish to the last uh, 14 weeks. Uh, uh, Ken will miss it, but he can listen in. Uh, yeah. Um, that's okay. Uh, thank you to our listener uh, for joining us. So glad that you've uh, decided to be part of this conversation. If you'd like to be part of it by sharing us ideas um, that you've had, you can email us at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. Uh, we hope that you tune in to our next episode.